Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This is the Leftovers Podcast with Derek Kramer. I'm going to say a stupid thing right now. Pudding. Where's my money? Frank R. Curry. I didn't say run through a wall. Do it again? Okay. And Kyle Powell. The Sabres were actually in a playoff spot for the entire year. On WGR550.com. Welcome into another episode of Leftovers Podcast. Derek Kramer. And Kyle Powell. No Frank Arcuri today. is under the weather despite the good weather. And uh, we're going to have to ask him about that soon enough. But let's waste no time. Because Bill's camp is in full swing. They actually come back here to Buffalo for a practice today. And with that, we're also graced by the incredible presence of one of the coolest dudes around Buffalo with the sports scene and a recent enemy of Howard Simon, uh, Josh Reed, joining us now here on the Leftovers Podcast. Josh, it's Derek, it's Kyle. What's going on, dude? Hey, I have no shot at living up to that introduction. No, no chance. But yes, I am definitely enemies, sworn enemies now with <laughs> Howard Simon. <laughs> And hey, Mr. Met himself. Yeah, I, I mean, I thought it was a fantastic joke, so I'm not going to ever let that one. Uh, I mean, we pick on Howard all the time, though, so I guess I guess that's why there should be extra admiration going on here. With, with, with Mets fans, it's, it is low-hanging fruit. <laughs> I mean, it, it's, it's, it's not – you don't have to dig very deep. You don't have to really do much, no. It, it, it does seem like the jokes do right itself. And unfortunately, in recent years, yes, this is the segue I'm going with, that has also been the Bills. But this year, Josh, there's been really a more palpable feeling of optimism, even more so than uh, than years past. Yeah, expectations are higher. I mean, and I think that that's this time of year. That's around the league. Every every fan base has that. At least most of them has that. They have that sense of optimism. Um, but you know that, that ends pretty quickly by week four for almost every team in the league. Um, but yeah, there's definitely you know a lot more optimism. I think it's because y- you you saw flashes of Josh Allen last year where you went, wow, okay, this guy this guy does have it in there if he can just harness it and be a little more consistent with it. And then we've seen it again in camp, um, you know. And you have Sean entering year number three, Brandon Bean. This is his organization. He's you know he's been building it for three years now. So yeah. I think there's good reason to be optimist, uh, optimistic, and you look on the defensive side of the ball as well. I mean, that defense was pretty good last year, and they've got everyone back except for Kyle Williams. So you'd think that you know that they'll be as good, if not even maybe a tick or two better this year. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it is interesting and it's exciting, and you know it's going to be really good atmosphere um, later on tonight at New Era Field as they come back and uh, and have a little scrimmage there. Yeah, not to mention, I mean, like you had said, like it's the first – like you mentioned that expectations usually come around this time of year when training camp gets started, but it really is the first time that we get to see a team with real expectations under this regime. Yeah, McDermott took a team that we thought was actively tanking and took it to the playoffs in his first year as the coach. Now we get to see, hey, he's done more with less. Can he do more with more? And that's where I think a lot of the good feeling can come from for a Bills fan. Yeah, a hundred percent. I think that they're, you know, they're trending in the right direction, uh, you know, and, and it's, you know, and, and with those expectations comes a little more, you know, you're under the microscope a little bit more. I mean, they go out this year and win six games, unlike last year, you know, I think there'll be a lot more, hey, is, is this, are we doing this the right way? Are the Bills doing this the right way? Um, which is good. I mean, that's, that's the way it should be. I mean, these guys get paid a ton of money. I mean, if, if you're not producing, you know, it's like any job. You don't produce, you are no longer around to not produce. Um, so, yeah, I think that – but I, I'm I'm optimistic as well. I tend to be a glass-half-full guy, admittedly. So, um, you know, if you're, if you're looking for someone to find a negative and everything, that's, I'm probably not the guy. But I do. I think that they realistically – 
have a shot to win 10 games. Now, the, the, the line between winning six, six and 10 and 10 and six is pretty thin in the NFL. So, you know, just a couple games here, you know, not even games, plays. I mean, I'm talking a couple bounces is the difference between, and a couple of injuries is the difference between winning four more games in the NFL. So, you know, it, it, outside of what the Patriots do year in and year out, it's always up in the air. I want to ask you a little bit about the uh, wide receiver room as we come into here Friday, the end of the week. I was taking a look at your four observations from camp yesterday. You especially said that there was a pretty good Thursday standout from Ray Ray McLeod, and R. Sal Capaccio wrote a lot of the same sentiments in his piece, um, his notes from camp on Thursday, um, much much a lot about the wide receiver room. Do, do you agree with Sal and everybody else there that the receiving core is really starting to take shape each day as they become more acclimated with both the offense and one another's strengths and weaknesses? Yeah, I think it's, you know, we knew that they would be better because they went out and spent money on, you know, to bring in Cole Beasley and John Brown. So immediately that's an upgrade. Um, you have Josh in his second year, Brian Dable's offense. So that makes it, you know, the receivers are going to be better because Josh should be better. Josh should be more comfortable with Brian Dable, vice versa. He know Brian now knows the strengths of Josh Allen. And he's going to cater that playbook to benefit him. Um, but, yeah, the, the receiver group is really, I think, the first four practices, John Brown was just, you really went, wow, this guy can really play. It's not just him running vertically down the field and that's it. And he showed a good job of getting open in space and tight spaces and tight windows. And and the last couple of practices, Ray Ray McLeod has continued to climb up the depth chart. And I think that it's interesting. It puts it puts Foster, Robert Foster, in a, in a kind of a unique position because, at least personally, I came into this season into this training camp thinking, okay, he's the one guy that has chemistry with Josh Allen. So he, you know, and, and I guess to to a certain extent Zay Jones. But I think last half of last season, you really looked at Robert Foster and went, wow, this guy's got something, it's, and he's got chemistry already with Josh. So you know, you just assume that that's going to be a springboard into this camp, and it just it really hasn't been there. And I know that Sean McDermott was asked about Robert Foster and said, look, he had a little bit of success in his rookie year, and he's got to show that he can do that again in year number two. And it's nothing's being kind of gifted to him or handed to him. He's he's having to earn those reps, and frankly, he hasn't earned and hasn't received the reps with the ones, but we've seen Ray Ray the last couple of practices slowly working his way in with the ones yesterday, Thursday. Um, you know, we saw the, the usual, the usual suspects out there with the ones we saw Cole, John Brown, Zay Jones saw Andre Roberts, but then sprinkled in was Ray Ray McLeod and Josh Allen after practice really praised him and said that, you know, he's kind of seen a different receiver, and he has really, really been locked in in the film room and studying, and he does a good job. Josh pointed out that, you know, when there's a blitz coming from his side, he's doing a good job of recognizing it now, cutting off his route, reading it, and Josh says he does, does a good job of finding the window and getting open. And he said it's nice because you need that. So, and, and Sean McDermott, wasn't even he was asked about the group of receivers toward the bottom half half of that depth chart. So when you get past Brown and Beasley and 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 Zay, and he specifically pointed out Ray Ray McLeod and how impressed he's been with him this camp. So he wasn't. And if you've listened to Sean's press conferences, he is not big on pointing people out. So the fact that he did that unprovoked. I think it says a lot about where Ray Ray is uh, during this camp. Yeah, there's a lot of good points there, too. And I, I remember yesterday also hearing some audio press conference from Josh Allen as well. You mentioned him a lot. He had a lot of good praise for another guy in the bottom of the receiver depth chart to an Andre Roberts. He specifically talked about a moment in, uh, in a drill where Andre was able to find some good space about four yards out from Josh, and they brought it into a touchdown. And he, was, he had a lot of high praise for Andre, too, for being able to have that knack for finding space as well. So it sounds like top to bottom, there's a lot of good chemistry being built with the receivers and Josh Allen these days. 
Yeah, they, they, I mean, they're they're working guys in and out with that first team. Um, and Andre was a guy that was brought in, and I I admit that I kind of thought, well, this is a special teams guy. He's he was brought in specifically to help the return game. I'm that's just kind of what I wrote it off as. And that's they clearly have thoughts of expanding that role into the receiving room. So it's been interesting to watch him, and he's made some plays. And, you know, so he, they've given him an opportunity, and he's taking advantage of it, and he's, he's, looked, he's looked pretty good. And he's another one of the reasons, I think, that Robert Foster has kind of fallen back a little bit on that depth chart. Now, Josh, uh, one more thing on the receivers there. With you mentioning that Robert Foster's falling down the depth chart, Sal mentioned that uh, – Willie, it looks like this this top six of the receivers seems to have separated itself with Foster included in that group. Is Foster still doing enough to uh, at least merit a roster spot with this team? Oh yeah. Oh, I mean, he's. I think he showed enough last season that yeah. I mean, he's he's going to be in that top six. I think I kind of thought he'd be third and not fifth or sixth. You know, I think I, I expected him to be out there a heck of a lot more with the ones than he has been. Um, I really, yeah, I did. I had some pretty high hopes. That doesn't mean that, you know, we don't get in these game, situa- game situations and suddenly he shows again what he's capable of. I mean, he gets out there, you know, in the preseason games and starts tearing it up like he did at the end of last season. He'll quickly, you know, start moving back up the depth chart. And it may be one of those deals where they're they're trying to challenge him. And I I brought this up yesterday uh with Sal and I were just kind of talking and you know about the receiving core and everything and I think everybody everybody wanted to talk about David Sills and you know oh everybody that saw the embedded piece that the Bills did, right? But he wanted to say, "Oh, you know, David Sills, this is a guy that's got to be on the radar. They got to and I said to Sal, I said, hey, <clears throat> I said, what do you think about this for a theory? And I said, I, I don't know this. So let me preface by saying I don't know this. But I said, we've seen now Ray Ray McLeod suddenly stepping up his game. And I said, is there? I mean, what, what's the thought about possibly the Bills wanted to emphasize that they really wanted David Sills to get into the heads of some of the younger receivers that look we we want some of these other guys, so let's get things moving here. Ray Ray McLeod, Cam Phillips, uh, Isaiah McKenzie, and we've seen Ray Ray suddenly do it. Now I don't know that that that's the case, but <laughs> Sal loved it. So he loved my conspiracy theory. So I think I mean it doesn't hurt, you know, if if you see a team bringing in a player who could be there to take your spot suddenly, you know, you may be putting in a little bit extra work. I'm gonna have to add. Bill's conspiracy theorists for fun under my introduction for you next time, Josh. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> so moving on to a different position here, the running backs. A player that has been very intriguing since the minute that they drafted him was Devin Singletary. And that backfield as a whole is an interesting little question. I dove in yesterday headfirst into a fantasy article about are the Bills going to be fantasy relevant? And every time I went back to the running backs, my head almost exploded because I don't know what the timeshare is going to look like. How have the trio of running backs of McCoy, Gore, and Singletary, and in addition, TJ Yeldon, how has that running back group looked overall when it comes to touches and how fresh McCoy is looking? Yeah, I think they're still trying to figure it out. You know, I think that's an ongoing, you know, practice-to-practice thing. And I, when they say that it's, you know, a competition at the running back spot, I believe it. But I also believe when they say – we roll, and Brandon Bean has said it several times. When we roll the ball out and it's time to play in a game, LaShawn McCoy is going to be our starting running back. He's going to be the first to touch the ball. I, and I, I have no reason to not believe that because I still, if the season started tonight, if, if this were the first game coming up tonight, I still believe that he would be the first running back on the field. I, I, I just do. And I think that, when, when the game would end, I think that he would have the most carries. Now, with that being said, I think that 
Devin Singletary's development throughout the season could change that drastically. You know, if somebody asked me, do you think LaShawn McCoy will be on the Bills roster when the season starts? And I said that I believe the better question is, do I think LaShawn McCoy will be on the roster when the season ends? Because I do believe that he'll be on it when it starts. Now, the development of Devin Singletary and the health of Frank Gore could go a long way in deciding whether or not he's on the team past the trade deadline when when the season gets, you know, just past midway point. So, but I do. I think they're kind of trying to figure that all out. Um, you know, LaShawn was excused from practice a couple of days ago for personal reasons. Um, you know, and some people thought, oh, that's a, you know, he can't have that. That's a putting, he's putting himself in a terrible situation. I, I don't know. I mean, to me, if, look, we, he knows the playbook. He knows, I don't know. It's, to me, it's a personal day and whatever. A lot of these vets get days off. He hasn't had one, I don't believe. So, and the team knew about it. The team knew that he had something to go take care of. So they didn't seem all that concerned about it. Um, but yeah, I think that it's when, Here's the thing, too. When the pre- we're not going to find out much during the preseason games, except for the fact that maybe Devin Singletary really flashes. And we go, wow. Um, because LaShawn's not going to be out there a lot. Frank Gore's not going to be out there a lot. Those two veterans aren't going to get a ton of carries in the preseason. We, they don't need them. So I don't know how much we're going to learn there from the running backs in the preseason games, except for maybe finding out how far along – in the development is Devin Singletary. Speaking of Singletary, um, <clears throat> excuse me, I was amazed too and kind of taken aback. Josh Allen a lot of we go go back to him again. He's been talking about his teammates a lot these last few days, but he had a lot of high praise for Singletary. Uh, really impressed by his vision and shiftiness at such a young age. And I'm sure you echo that sentiment. I'll ask you that anyway about what you've seen from Singletary. But I'm also wondering too. Uh, I understand they're only a couple days into having pads on. It's not full speed, but have. The Bills really put Singletary in a lot of positions to try and test his pass-catching ability out of the backfield because that was one of the big questions coming out of Florida Atlantic. Yeah, um, you know what? They did some stuff in particular yesterday on Thursday where they did a lot of one-on-one stuff, and they were matching up linebackers and running backs, and they were matching up uh, tight ends and linebackers. Sorry, they were matching up running backs and linebackers and safeties and tight ends. So it was kind of interesting they're mixing and matching and doing some one-on-one stuff and he made some grabs out of the backfield against you know matched up a couple against a couple linebackers and safeties and and he definitely i mean he's he's very comfortable catching the ball out of the backfield and um we haven't seen a ton of that in you know in 11 on 11 but we'll see this one of the things i think that's maybe being overlooked a little bit is the ability for running backs to block in the pass game. And usually that's something that takes rookies a little – pass protection usually takes rookies a little longer to grasp. And I think, you know, let's face it, at the end of the day, the, num- the number one thing, the number one priority over everything else is don't get Josh Allen killed. I think that's that, – I mean, that's – that's why they went and completely redid their offensive line. And I think that how, how quickly will Devin Singletary, you know, pick up on the pass pro as a running back? Because LaShawn McCoy, that's something that he wasn't great at when he first got into the league, but is really improved at and is pretty good. And Frank Gore is one of the best in the league at protecting quarterbacks. So – the ability to to block in the pass game and Devin Singletary picking up blitzers to make sure that Josh Allen doesn't get absolutely smashed it will be important to how often he's on the field. Yeah, particularly like a third down sort of thing because I remember uh, I think it was two preseasons ago Keith Ford he was looking like a guy that could threaten for the bottom of the roster but then the dude couldn't protect in the pass game for anything and that cost him a job I thought. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what Singletary can do pass protection-wise because that helps you get on the field in third down. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And I think that, um, you know, the idea is for him to be able to 
catch passes out of the backfield, you know, as well as helping the run game. But and and then where does TJ Yeldon fit into that? You know, that piece of the puzzle because he's another guy who is tremendous at catching the ball out of the backfield and is more of a veteran who, quite frankly, probably has a better you know grasp on you know protecting a quarterback in the past game. And that leads me to my follow-up here on the running backs for one last thing. Do you think they could end up keeping four? I do. I, I think I think there is a better percentage of a chance, and I'd probably put it 60-40, maybe a little, even a little bit better than that, that they do keep four running backs. And you know, I wasn't 100% sure that, they, that Patrick DeMarco, how he would fit in, if they kept the four tailbacks. But Keith Farwell, the new special teams coach, he spoke yesterday on Thursday, and he was asked, outside of Lorenzo Alexander, who on the special teams has really stepped up, and he pointed out Patrick DeMarco and said that he's been invaluable. Well, I mean, from a special teams aspect, if, if you're getting pointed out you know, by a new young special teams coach that I mean that's got to go a long way in in securing your position and 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 with all the injuries at tight end Marco's kind of worked a little bit as almost like an h-back for them because the tight end position's been so banged up yeah that is right I mean the fact that Croft won't start the season on time probably and then Kroom is banged up Knox is banged up like they actually had to sign someone, so it does help Pat DeMarco there. Last one I got for you, and it's on the defensive side of the ball here, Josh. And it is uh, more or less, there's really not many questions as to who's going to end up starting where. There's just one spot where there's competition, and that's cornerback opposite Tredavious White. What's it been looking like there with uh, Kevin Johnson, EJ Gaines, Levi Wallace trying to hold on to his starting spot? And uh, how's the rotation looking there, not only with that, but also with those players on the inside as well? Yeah, I think that right now it's Levi Wallace's job to lose. I think that he showed enough, you know, at the end of last season that he can get the job done, and he's done nothing in training camp to show that he can't continue to do that and even build on that. It is a pretty good competition, though, because, you know, Kevin Johnson is a guy that, everybody that you talk to and i'm including people in the texans organization said if he stays healthy he is a legit legit cornerback like he he can play he just struggled to stay healthy and that's that's been a problem and you know we're familiar with ej Gaines because it was just a couple of years ago he was on the roster here in buffalo he's a solid player i don't you know i don't think he's going to do anything off the charts, and I don't think he's going to completely kill you. Um, but I think right now that is Levi Wallace's job until until further notice. All right, excellent there, Josh. And uh, you know the preseason gets started soon. You get to you get to do your pregame show. And uh, you got any ways you're going to mess with Sal? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we got uh, yeah, we got the pregame Buffalo kickoff live show that. You know, it's on. We're going to do it before the preseason games, and then uh, you know, obviously from 11:30 to noon on Channel Four for every single every single game this season. And uh, it's year three for Buffalo Kickoff Live, so we we um, yeah, it's always good always good to have Sal on. Josh, they know where to find you on the tube. Where else can they find your work? Well, uh, at for Josh Reed on Twitter. And that's for just the number, the number four on Twitter. And then, uh, yeah, and then our website, WIVB.com, um, station's website. You know, we write up a lot of articles and put a lot of our stuff that airs, uh, you know, in the newscast and everything. And we'll, um, yeah, we'll be live before tonight's, um, you know, at 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock news, uh, before, tonight's, uh, before tonight's practice. Looking forward to get down to the new era field again. Josh? Thank you very much for joining us, and uh, I'll, I'll, I'll allow allow you to hear the exit now because I'm great at giving intros and I'm great with uh, pumping people up. That's I, I may not be good at doing things myself, but that is the man from Channel Four. That's Josh Reed from WIVB, frustrator of Howard Simon Bills.
fun conspiracy theorist and all-around awesome dude joining us here on the Left Doors Podcast. Josh, thank you for your time. Absolutely. Perfect hype man. You're the great, you're the best hype man in the game. All right, I might check in the mail coming in a couple weeks, right? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Thanks for taking the time, Josh. All right. See you guys. That was Josh Reed, Channel 4. One of one of the cooler dudes to talk to when it comes to just about anything. And, you know, he's a fun guy on Twitter. He is an absolute must-follow. If you're not already following him at this point, really, uh, you're doing it wrong. Yeah, a lot of good stuff from Josh this afternoon. Always. Always good stuff from Josh. Now... Like your final question, by the way, about the cornerback battle. Um, I, I loved when Kevin Johnson got signed here. Yeah, Trey locking up one side, and the battle on the other side is definitely interesting. Levi Wallace had a good second half last year, but you know, they at least this this regime has a, at least a little bit of history with EJ Gaines from two years ago, and yeah, Kevin Johnson, former first round pick. If he's on the field and he stays healthy, that's that's a very intriguing battle. And Taron Johnson has to yep. make sure to lock down his spot as well because he looked really good last year as a rookie, but. EJ Gaines can play inside. Kevin Johnson can play inside. Levi Walsh could play inside. Like, they can all do it. So, is there really a true starter at cornerback opposite Tredavious White? I don't know. But is it a problem? No. You've got guys that have proven they can do this all across the depth chart, and that is fantastic for this defense. That's your question mark? Sign me the hell up. Right. Who's starting at right corner? Is it Levi Wallace, who started the second half of the season and looked really good doing it? Is it Kevin Johnson, a guy with primo talent that just couldn't stay healthy? Is it EJ Gaines, a guy who did do well for you in Buffalo, also battling battling with injuries? And then Taron Johnson in the slot. He can get some help every now and then. Take a couple plays off, buddy, if you need to. With the likes of Johnson and Gaines backing up everything. That's a great depth chart to have right there. Mm -hmm. Too much of a good thing is actually a good thing here to hell with that other saying how too much of a good thing could never be a good thing no i disagree good corners that is a good thing sure can't ever have too many good corners in this league no way dime packages look pretty legit here now don't they yeah how about too many defensemen though (laughs) is that a good thing nice nicely done because now there's the newest here's the problem the Sabres, I think, are looking bad throughout this arbitration stuff because they've had four of them go to arbitration. So, of course, it's going to get leaked what is being asked by player and team. And the Sabres are going to look bad for lowballing these guys. Why? Because it's becoming public knowledge because they're going to arbitration. When you let so many players go to arbitration like this, it's going to make the team look a little bad. Yeah, right now it looks like they're three for four. I can't really count Remiali. I don't think that was as much of a big deal, but they were somewhat way off with Erod. I think he was close to, what, 2.65? He wanted a $2 million raise? Yes. Right? They're now, Allmark's 2.65. Nearly within $2 million apart with Allmark yeah. and flirting with two and a half with today's – no. Yeah. Sunday's. Oh. Well, I thought it was today. Sunday's oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jake McCabe. Today well, is today's news about that right. difference. It, it makes the team look a little bad in all of this. I mean, I don't think it's strictly the Sabres being cheap. I'm pretty sure this is very commonplace with the NHL. The only problem is, is that they had four players go to arbitration, so it's going to look bad when you see their names constantly attached to this sort of thing. Yeah, Buffalo is only one of three teams that have that many players reach arbitration. I believe, if I remember correctly, it was them, Calgary, and St. Louis yeah. that all had four. rest of the league was three or under. Or yeah, nine. and it makes the Sabres look worse because they finished in the last two years 31st and 27th. It's going to make you look worse because Calgary 
finished top in the Western Conference and the one seed in the playoffs. And St. Louis only won the Stanley Cup. Eh. Interesting interesting thing with Allmark, too, as I trip over my own tongue. Um, based off his asking, it's pretty obvious now that he's looking for a true 1A, 1B situation with the contract that the Buffalo has left with Carter Hutton. Yeah. Within $100,000, 10000 Yeah, it's close. Of Carter Hutton, who's making 2.75. First half of the season? Sure. Yeah. Second half of the season? But it's just like most other things in sports. It's a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately league. And yikes. A forgettable last 40 games. It didn't help him. I believe the stat to end the season for Olmark was one win in his last 12 appearances. And sometimes he can't be helped by goal support, but... Absolutely not, but... There were some bad games from him. So, it's tough. I want to say that Florida game at the end of the year mm-hmm. in BB&T comes to mind. I believe he was in net. Yeah, there's a lot of ugly late-season memories that'll definitely affect this hearing because the Sabres have that at least against him. Yeah, and it's not like the arbitration meetings of old where you literally had to rip a player apart in front of that player. That's right. Bringing players to tears. (laughs) At least it's not like that anymore. Save a couple pennies. Yeah, just so you could save a couple pennies. uh... But these sorts of things, here's the thing. In two years, do you see any of those three players coming back? Rodriguez, Olmark, and uh, McCabe? I don't know. The one you think sticks around the most? I'm torn between Rodriguez and McCabe. I think they're all gone in two years. You think they're all gone? All three of them. Because it never – there was this story on The Athletic about this. Oh, the amount of guys that go to arbitration? And they're almost always shipped out within two or three years. Some even as soon as one. Jacob Truba being that latest mm-hmm. of proof. Well, Olmark, I was really not seeing in the team's future unless he has a unless they come to terms on something short term. And he has. I a, feel like a if he really took the reins from Carter Hutton to be the one A upcoming and then season, you can sure. and then you can have him groom up Luke. Exactly, and you've ready. got you've got this guy in the works. There's yeah, one like coming. he would be the bridge guy. Mm-hmm. And if he could show to be a solid bridge guy, then that's how you managed to stay around and I like Linus Olmark I think he's such a fun quote he's a great dude and uh you want to see a guy like that succeed here it's tough it's tough business yeah but the problem is like you said what have you done for me lately and uh you look at all three of those players that hit arbitration I mean Rodriguez is the one that can claim a career year that's right in points but other than that McCabe can't stay healthy that's what's and super, finish his season. That's what's super interesting about his asking price. Because I was listening to the instigators this morning with Marty Baron and Brian Duff. And Ooh, the they, Duffer. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Good. It was a nice we little need more. We need more Duffer. <laughs> we always need more Duffer. Nothing against the guys from the instigators because they can punch me and it would hurt. But you need more Duffer in your life. I mean, they, had, they, had, they, they brought us some comps. And other than Mike Matheson from Florida – which is just a very, very confusing eight-year deal. What? Yeah, eight years, $39 million from Mike Matheson, making just under five a year. The other two comps that come to mind for both statistical comps from Jake McCabe, career length, age, were, well, frankly, these guys still stay a little healthier, I think. I think Josh Morrissey had a pretty lengthy injury two years ago yes which is one of the hints josh morrissey was one of the comps in winnipeg and old friend nikita zadorov old friend nikita zadorov they both have aavs of 3.15 for morrissey and 3.2 for zadorov respectively and jake mccabe's career path falls right in the middle of those two morrissey has less games more points zadorov has more games and one more point they all fall within the 225 to 295 games played range and anywhere from about 60 to 80 points. Now, the big thing with McCabe is his biggest 
contribution really is not on the stat sheet. It's hitting Patrick Line. Well, that too. Um, and that goes into zone entries. Uh, McCabe is probably one of the better guys at limiting them. Mm-hmm. And that's something that you can always look at uh, statistically with the analytics, or you can see it with your eyeballs. Uh, Jake McCabe makes it harder for teams to get into the zone. Good. You need players like that, especially when you have more of these swift skating guys like a pilot, like a Darlene, and everything of the sort there. Yoki Haru coming in now, coming to mind. You need a guy that can actually hit somebody, and McCabe provides you that wonderful service without the baffling turnovers. The other thing with McCabe, too, that we have to keep in mind, that he also he doesn't have much leverage because he's not always on the ice with the health aspect, but he does have some kind of leverage in his corner because of the amount of surplus that Buffalo has on the right side. Yes. Him being a left-hand shot, seeing the guys around him, Pilot's still not getting paid yet. Darlene is a year He's not going to be ready to paid. even make the ice right now this season. You look at other left-shot defensemen that have had somewhat significant roles the last few years. Marco Scandella barely played last year, and he's making $4 million. Jake McCabe knows he has a bigger role on this team than Marco Scandella. So – it doesn't also shock me that his price is a little bit higher than a guy like see, Scandella. But, like, here's the big thing. Because between of the role the Sabres, he's going to play this year. Between the Sabres asking price and McCabe's, this seems pretty amicable. Like, this looks like a 3.2 kind of thing. Which falls right into the services of about what the guys that he was compared to this morning. So, very so smart I, on yeah. their camp. And it doesn't look that terrible to me um, with McCabe. Uh, they're doing their diligence so that they can try to get a decent amount of money for him for what he might be worth. And a lot of... People were suspecting, hey, could McCabe get double that 1-6 that he was getting maybe? You know, that possibly being it. Because when McCabe signed that contract for 1.6 per season, everyone's like, wow, that's a team-friendly deal. Very good. Well, you had to pay up sometime because he is steady. And if he stays on the ice, you've got a steady defender. And this team could use that. You wonder, too, as you try, you, you try and piece together all the factors going into this hearing that's coming up this weekend – do you think guys are more inclined to over-ask when they've already done what Jake McCabe has done with that team-friendly deal he accepted? Hey, maybe. Hey, I gave you a break for three years. Maybe. What's up now? You want to give me at least a little bit of money for one? Like that? Yeah, but it also has to mean you got to produce on the ice still. Oh, absolutely. And the problem with – McCabe is, well, one of the abilities that you have not shown lately is the availability. And that's going to hurt. It should hurt. Because how many times do you get injured players that have to take cut downs on deals? I don't see the Sabres looking terrible in all this. It's just that when you have so many players go to arbitration, the publicity of the arbitration is your problem. It's not like they're trying to lowball people and saying, hey, uh, Jake McCabe, we're going to give you 1.8. No, that's not happening here. As a matter of fact, it's public that it's not happening here. But, you know, behind closed doors, those negotiations happen. When when they're made public, it makes things always look worse. If they do settle in the middle, too. Like, Allmark is the one that really – like, his camp's the one that's really baffling me. Mm -hmm. If they do settle right around the middle on McCabe, though, and then still have to deal with Allmark, then we've talked about this for the last few weeks, knowing these hearings were coming – and seeing the cap space, Jake McCabe's contract, if it were to be accepted right around the middle of where these two these two sides are negotiating from, that's just about all the all the rest of Buffalo's cap space before Omar. Granted, Omar's going to come first, and we know that they have this offseason grace period of, I believe, ten percent. Ten percent. Something's got to give there too. These these Something's moves gonna, that have that have been coming in arbitration, I think the more Buffalo, money on the books, it's just pushing the envelope that much. I more. think if that trade's going to happen, they're going to wait for these arbitration awards to see what they actually have to move off yes right? yeah they're gonna have to see what they need to move off what can they get in return and if they may have to ship another bad contract on the way and get a diminished return from something because mm-hmm. now they're up against it yeah big time and this seems is like what happens this is what happens when you pay one six for zemgis girgensons or johan larson and like those things do catch they'll, up they'll add up <laughs> they catch up so someone's getting dealt. It's just now a matter of when, not if. Speaking of dealings, uh, it's a one-year anniversary of something very special. It is. It Near was the, and dear and true to all of our hearts. fans who had very 
tumultuous where, where ups were and downs, roller coaster seasons. Where were you? And you could tweet us at Kyle underscore Powell too, or at Derek Kramer forty nine. Where were you when Jeff Skinner got traded to the Buffalo Sabers for a second, a third, and Cliff Poo, and a sixth, I think, and a sixth. Yes, a second, a third, a sixth, and Cliff Poo. I was in the newsroom. Was this a Saturday? No, it was a weekday. It was a Friday? It was actually, I do believe, a Thursday. Oh, okay. Because one year later, I remember you where I go, was. I just assumed it was going to be a weekend. Because, because it was not a was. it was not a Saturday because I was in the newsroom. Joe and I are getting ready to do the nightcap. I'm ready to be the producer, and I hear Frank, who's over at WBEN, scream, "Oh my God, we got Jeff Skinner!" What? Really? Now Joe and I are geeked because Joe's been talking about this. But he was like, if you have to throw a Sam Reinhardt for Jeff Skinner trade, I'm all for it kind of thing. So now we're interested. We're like, okay, what's the price? How much is this going to hurt? Like, we just got Jeff Skinner. And Joe sees the price. He's like, Derek, you got to be kidding me. And we wa- I walk into the GR producer room, and there it is, the price. And we're just like, you What? What? This has got to be, like, this is a joke, right? Jeff Skinner kicked someone on his way out of Carolina. It's got to be the case, right? How do you get that for the price? And then the next thing you know, on a lazy day in August, we are all hockey. Right. That's right. (laughs) Who would have thought? And that's why I'm always saying, there's a deal waiting somewhere for the Sabres. Because I just remember a lazy day in August and Jeff Skinner shows up. Okay. By God, that's Jeff Skinner's music. It was, and uh, it was fantastic. I was coaching with a uh, college teammate of mine. We took over a showcase team out of North Tonawanda for the summer to sort of groom these guys and get them some looks at some colleges for the for the summer months. It was really fun. But, yeah, I, I seem to recall we had just gotten to a game where a couple innings in. Because when, when would this have done? You're getting ready for the nightcaps. It was around, what, 6, 7 o'clock on a Thursday? It was 6.30-ish. Okay. So because had, here was the fun thing. Like, uh, Mike and Chris had to duck out early, and they scram- Mike scrambles back to get into the studio to talk about the trade. <laughs> he didn't get very far which was the good thing about it but joe and i had to fill in a couple minutes before mike came back like about four minutes or so and we're just like yeah jeff skinner happened uh okay that's interesting so then yeah if it was around that time then we probably weren't that far into the game we were hitting otherwise i wouldn't have had access i wouldn't have had access to oh i'm sorry feeling because mm-hmm. we were first and third and base coaches obviously we would have had access to a phone mine yep. goes off in my pocket it was either <laughs> nice job, coach. You're looking at your phone. WGR notifications or something from NHL. It was probably GR notification because I was like, just knocking things out. And yeah, it goes off in my pocket as I'm watching our guys in the field sitting on I'm a bucket, slamming keyboards right now. Like, get this thing sent out. I tell my head coach, uh, my teammate of mine, Connor. <laughs> I think Jeff Skinner just got traded to Buffalo. And of course, all our kids are pretty indelved in hockey. We had a couple of hockey players from local high school teams. They dual, they're dual athletes out there. They're fans of the Sabers, obviously. Parents, they're all getting the news at the same time as we're playing this game. And we're like, <laughs> this is real. This is like, it's not so groundbreaking that oh my god, we got a game to play now. Like they were still invested in the game. Obviously, they had a lot. Could you of imagine like a tournament. parent? Could you imagine like, just a parent just like, holy crap, we got Jeff Skinner strike. Some kid just swings and whiffs because he hears the news that the Sabres got Jeff Skinner. Yeah, so I believe I was in the dugout, (laughs) probably second inning of a showcase game down near Grand Island, and there it was. Yeah, I'm in the newsroom, and I'm slamming keyboards now because I need to make sure that these notifications are getting sent out. So, What a crazy day it turned out to be. What what a a season it turned out to be for him, and... It was exactly what everyone could have expected from a guy that didn't have that elite playmaking center. And even then, he could have got a lot more if he didn't hit that slump. Yeah, he was on pace. Dude's a 40-goal scorer with a slump. 50 goals at yeah. one point. He was on pace for like 52 or something. Leading the league in goals. Yeah. And it all started with a 
I think his first goal was in L.A. on a road trip. And then it just went binge from binge. there. Yeah, because at first it wasn't really looking so smooth. It took four or five games. It took four or five games. And then the next thing you know, um, yeah, because Connor Sherry had three in the first two games. The proverbial uh, floodgates, if you will. Yep. Open for Mr. Skinner. And then it was all 40-goal scorer from there. He does it in such an interesting and fun way, though. He's so acrobatic on his feet. He's just he just – he exudes happiness. He's always got that smile on his face. He's a 40-goal scorer that you love to watch him. And yet you can count 25 him. of those goals were probably, like, nitty-gritty types, hunting for rebounds, like being willing to get in that dirty area and finding it and potting it. I always I always think of his goal, his overtime goal during the streak against Montreal. The San Jose one to get to 10 was crazy, the move on Marty Jones as he's out of the crease. But the Montreal one stands out especially. There's four Guys, so many different sweaters. There's a couple of Sabres. I know Jack Eichel's in that mix. There's a goalie on the ground. There's, like, Jeff Petrie and another, like, Jordy yeah, Petrie's, like, in the defender. net. Skinner sco- scoops it, not only gets it out of the fray, gets it back towards his body, finds a hole around, like, seven helmets, t- six pairs of skates, a goaltender, and <laughs> rips a top shelf. Uh, uh, incredible. Incredible stuff. Yeah, and it was – there's so many things about that goal that was incredible because, like, mm-hmm. You get that you get that pre roar and the confirmation roar of the goal, like, oh my god, it's gonna go in. Oh I went in <laughs> and it just Rasmus just lying and saying, Screw your celly, come here. He just hugs him, he doesn't yeah, even just, give him a chance to skate down get, the ice. He doesn't give him a chance to do anything. It's just like get over here, you Oh little, man. You lovable little thing. So yeah, no, well, what? Did you get a thing? I think this may have already been news, but no. it's just fun to see his name, Peter Shirelli. Oh no. Oh, no. Yes. Our, our segues have been odd today. But, yeah, Peter Shirelli, I just got a notification. He's in, it's officially interviewed with the Minnesota Wild. So this means we're going to get Jason Zucker in a first for Ristolainen, right? <laughs> I'm not even take you first. Are you kidding? I'll take it first. <laughs> like, he, he's he's going to overpay for Ristolainen. This is, this is where Oh, my apologies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. yeah. like, he's going to give us Zucker in a first for Ristolainen. Make it happen, Minnesota. My how those rumors died, by the way, as we shift into Minnesota. Interesting, by the way, they pivoted after allowing Paul Fenton. Uh, were 14 months. 14 months? But you when let Chuck him draft Fletcher was and run free agency? And Chuck Fletcher seemed more like the problem. Uh, yeah. Fenton made some not-so-smart deals, but they're to allow kind of him, hamstrung. To allow him an entire month of free agency, along with a draft, bring in a guy like Matt Zuccarello. The Jason Zucker rumors died out of nowhere, it seems like, for like a month or after so. After they failed since. to get Kessel. After they failed to get Phil Kessel. That was the, that's right. That, thank you for reminding me. It was a Zucker and Kessel package. It never happened. And, and then all of a sudden, to bounce him out of town at such an odd time in the offseason. You gave him so much power. He's made moves to your team that will directly affect the upcoming season. I feel like until Parise and Suter's contracts are still there, they're not going to really get anywhere. How old are we going to be when those contracts expire? 13-year deals, correct? Signed in 2012? Yeah. that's Right? Going into the 2013 season or going into 2012? I'm going to take a peek at that. But I think it was July 1, 2012. Going into what ended up being the lockout season. So that's the case, 2025, I'll be 30. Scary. Sucks, doesn't it? (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, no, this is – there it is, yeah, July 4th, 2012. July 4th. 13-year deal. 2025. That's what you're looking at. Good Lord. And Parise's slowed down. Suter still looks solid. Yeah, I was trying to figure out, A, who may see the end of that contract, and B, who's had the better – I mean, far and away, I think Ryan Suter's been better during that contract. I just I, – I was hesitant because I know Zach Parise had a slight renaissance last year, mm-hmm. but for the price he's getting paid – I don't think it still comes close. Yeah, it's mm, yeah. He's he's had a lot of injury struggles as of late, and yeah, no those those contracts thirteen years. Good lord, that destroys 
the Minnesota Wild. Because now every year with those contracts, you have to at least try to go for it. You can't tank with those contracts. You can't rebuild with those contracts. You have to find a way to do a quick rebuild with that Mm -hmm. every year. And they've been trying. They've been trying. And their best door got shut for a championship run with those guys. Yeah. You have a good, I believe two years ago, Devin Dubnik may have been top three, top five in the – in the Vesna, he was unstoppable in net. You've got young guys like Charlie Coyle contrib- contributing, and Marcus Gr- Michael Mikhail Granlund. Yep. And where are those guys now? Boston and They're and uh, Nashville. They're gone. Yeah, like they wait, and they had Brent Burns. They did. Could you imagine that team with Suter and Burns on the top pairing? Yeah, seriously. Oof. Seems pretty dumb to me. You know what that means. When I throw that word in there, you know what that means. Oh, yeah. Because, oh, we've got candidates, multiple now, for the dummy of the week. The what? The dummy of the week. Dante, I'm trying to fight these demons, but I'm dummy thick and the clap of my ass keeps alerting them. That's right. The dummy of the week. We've got, we've got multiple here. Oh, boy. Now, yesterday, Mike Schilt brings up this ridiculous list from a a man named Jay Busby for Yahoo Sports NFL. The NFL's most tortured fan bases. However, last night allowed me to bring a new person into uh, into the fray here, Kyle. Can I just share my notes that I wrote down for the tortured fan bases? Not, just one second. Okay. Because the other name is Sean Payton. We got to see the pass interference challenge yesterday. And it's as awful as we thought it could be. So that makes me go ahead and throw Sean Payton's name into the ring. Because he, as an NFL head coach, managed to somehow get the NFL just by constantly bitching about these things. Hey, They didn't do anything about no forward lateral after the Bills lost. Yeah, I think that game went to court. They were going to go to court. They were going to go to court. Like, New Orleans, like, now? Now? After seeing it getting implemented for the first time? Now I hope Sean Payton's team loses a game because of it. There's your justice, jackass. But yeah, no, I, I had to bring up the honorable mention for the uh, for the dummy of the week because of the fact that this challenge already looks bad. It already doesn't look like it's going to be a good thing. I hope, they, for, I hope they kill it in the preseason. I'm down for a two for Friday. All right, so, so, Jay Busby. <laughs> now, here's the problem. I don't know who's the bigger dummy here. The man that wrote this article or the person that put it up there because what Jay Busby is trying to do is say that here, here are the 10 teams that I don't think have any hope going forward right now that's more reasonable problem is it was headlined as the most tortured fan bases now Kyle the number one team on that fan base <laughs> you've got your notes Here's the dumb here's the three dumbest things I've got before we get to your notes. One. Six of these teams have a Super Bowl in their history. Six. Two. You may have Detroit and Minnesota and Atlanta on this list, but you definitely failed to include Cleveland and Buffalo and the Chargers. It's a good point. And number three. One of these teams has Aaron Rodgers. How could that be torture? (laughs) Oh, man. Yes, sir. Can I please have another? Going from Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers? Man. Oh, the tortured souls. Whew. Crap. You poor, you poor Packers fans. Being a contender every year. You poor Giants fans with your two Super Bowls since the turn of this millennium. You poor 49ers fans with your five rings. Ah, oh, damn. 
Whew. That's tough. So tough. All right, Kyle, you can go in depth here. I don't have any depth. I just had four letters. Fail. L. Oh, L. Please tell me your four L. M. Oh. A. Ah, there it is. O. <laughs> that was going to be your notes for me to give to me? Yeah, that's all I wrote down. <laughs> I wrote down the list of ten, and then just looking at it again after seeing it yesterday, it's just I don't understand how – I don't get the thought process. It's like he just closes, he blindfolded, and this is him. This is his pens on his notes. His, oh, I clicked on – I. there's marks on ten teams. They're tortured. I – you know, here's the thing. If you didn't use the word tortured, words are a powerful thing. If you didn't use tortured, I think you can give him some slack on some stuff. For example – Yeah, man, because this list, recency, sure, I get it. Yeah, like – or those, future those that don't have year, hope fine. in the next couple of years. Yeah. Why are the Jets on here? And you're anticipating the Packers are going to fall off a cliff. If I'm you're not. saying yeah. anticipation of the next few years. His reasoning on the Packers is they have two Hall of Fame quarterbacks and they've got one Super Bowl ring out of Aaron Rodgers' tenure. They go from one Hall of Famer to the next and they only have one Super Bowl ring because of it. I get that. That doesn't make a fan base tortured. Just makes them unlucky. Yeah. Because you have Aaron Rodgers. I'd stab someone to get Aaron Rodgers here. Nothing against Josh Allen. I wouldn't stab Josh Allen to get Aaron Rodgers here. Because Allen's likable. Please let him be good. He'd probably say thank you. (laughs) He probably would. You'd be like, ow. All right, in return, I'm going to throw a ball at you. Okay, I'm going to die. <laughs> like, but when it comes to history, only three of these, three or four of these teams, the four that don't have the rings, ironically, those are the ones that I could count in tortured fan base. Atlanta, Detroit, Cincinnati, and Minnesota. Minnesota, like the Bills, have lost four of them. Not in a row, but they've lost four of them. The Bengals, whoo, where to start? Detroit, the original 0-16. Uh. And then there's Atlanta. You say 28-3 to someone in Atlanta, I'm pretty sure you're just going to get beat up. Minnesota tortures themselves, okay? Yes, but... Skull, enough. Yeah. Get it out of here. I mean, they couldn't capitalize on a miracle win in a divisional playoff game. As a matter of fact, they laid an egg against Nick Foles as he beams... Oakland's on here because of John Gruden. Makes sense. I feel like I feel like Peterman's going to start a game for them. We forgot about that. <laughs> I can't really put John Gruden as the dummy of the week because he didn't write this. <laughs> but yes, yes, Nathan Peterman being a real thing. Oh, Somebody we talked. Said that again. We talked about that on Monday. Actually, you missed, oh. you missed out. You missed out. That's really what that was. Um, it's really been that long since those words were spoken. Yes. Wow. The sun still came up. <laughs> Four times. <laughs> the sun still came up. Yes. Yes, it did. But, yeah, no, this is – you either use the wrong wording or if you actually believe this. Oh, man, the ratio, by the way. It's It's delicious. Mm-hmm. Like, like it's a good thing Twitter has not gotten rid of the ratio because this is what it's made for. This is one of the things that Twitter is made for. Calling out the dummy of the week. Oh, yeah. If you want some enjoyable – if you want an enjoyable time on Twitter and you haven't seen this yet, pop your popcorn, rip out your folding chair, and just dive deep into these comments. You can even just dip your toe in. It's going to give you a good That's true. entertainment value. Like You can just skim the pool and uh, hang out on a floaty. You don't got to dive in anywhere. <laughs> just do it for you. Yeah, you just do it for you. All right. Thank you for listening to the Leftovers Podcast, Derek Kramer. And Kyle Powell. And I, was Kyle, almost, I looked at Frank's chair. <laughs> and there's no Frank Arcuri, and I don't Like Frank's, Frank's taking a little bit of a hiatus. 
soon enough. He's going on vacation. And so you might be dealing with the two of us. What does that mean for you? That means more guests. You know, as much as we like to play off of each other on some things, we want to hear from other people as well as you want to hear from other people as well. So that's what we're going to give to you, especially when there's no three-man studio. We like to go and get someone else for you. So let's go ahead and be ready for those sorts of things. I can promise you one thing. Next week, we get a maniac attack here on the Leftovers Podcast. Maniac Whoa. from Trainwreck will be coming, popping back in with us. So we get a maniac attack next week. Be ready for that. Thanks for listening here on WGR550.com and the Radio.com app. And you know, as they say, go Bills. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com.